You know, it's crazy to think that I have been in ministry for almost 17 years now. Started back in 2004 uh, as a youth minister, and then several years later, um, you know, moved into to preaching full time, and have been doing that for for quite some time now. And uh, in those 17 years, I have learned quite a bit. I look back at what I. I didn't know 17 years ago, and uh, the gap is pretty wide, uh, but I also look forward and, and think about uh, how much I do not know and, and do not realize. Some, most of that I probably can't see, and, uh, and that gap's probably even bigger than, what I, than the gap between what I, I did know and what I do know now. Uh, and so there, there's still a lot left to learn, but, but one of the things that I have learned in, in 17 years is that communication can be quite difficult. You know, what seems easy enough in theory is often a different matter and much more difficult when you try to put it into practice in real life. We've all had the experience of saying something that we thought was very clear, and yet very clearly we were misunderstood. Like the young man who went to this man and said, your daughter is crazy about me. She is around me all the time, and she says she wants to be with me for the rest of her life. And the man said, so are you asking me if you can marry my daughter? And the guy said, no, I'm asking you to tell her to leave me alone. <laughs> you see, communication can be difficult. Or, or the preacher who said, well, after service today, we're going to have a meeting of the board in the fellowship hall. And so after the sermon was over, he went down to the fellowship hall and there was a first time guest down there. And he said to the man, he said, no, I'm sorry, sir. This is only for uh, the meeting of the board. And the guy said, well, after that sermon, I'm as bored as I've ever been. And I bring that up because in this lesson, a series of lessons that we've been in called The Bible Doesn't Say That, we're looking at some popular Christian sayings and beliefs. And the reason they exist is because we're, we're trying to, to tap into something, and these sayings really are trying to tap into something that is true. It is true that God wants to help us with our burdens. But the Bible doesn't say that he will never give you more than you can handle. It is true that God can work all things for good, but that doesn't mean that everything happens for a reason or that, the God, that God is the cause of everything that happens, the reason that everything happens. Or, for example, several weeks ago, I said that I don't believe that the Bible says that God has a, a plan for your life in the way that many people mean it. And I had a couple of people not really push back, but basically say, well, I know God has, has guided and directed my life and opened doors. And, and to which I say, of course he has. Of course he's done that. And, and we believe that. But I, I don't believe that God has a blueprint for your life. And, and there's only one step that you can take. And if you take the wrong step, then you're out of his will. For example, some of you may remember the name Dr. Kent Brantley. He was a medical missionary who several years ago contracted and thankfully survived the Ebola virus. You may not know he went to Abilene Christian University as a ministry major. That's what he started off as and earned his Bible degree, in fact, before deciding to go into medicine as a way to serve the Lord in that area. Now, if he had not changed to medicine and become a preacher, would he have been out of the will of God? Would he have been disobedient to God's 
plan. And then as he tried to decide after he came back and, and, and kind of went through, um, you know, the healing process and getting better from, from contracting the Ebola virus, as he tried to decide if he should return to Africa and, and continue on his missionary work or if he should stay stateside and use his platform to preach the gospel here in the States, was there a right or wrong answer to that? Would he have been wrong if he had done one or, or the other? You see, I say that to say that when we come up with these and we say these cliches and these sayings, again, we're trying to tap into something that is true, but we often just take it too far. And I say that because today's sermon has great potential to be misunderstood as we wrestle with the idea of God and our happiness. Because I know people can get very unhappy when you start messing with their obsession with happy. And our culture is no doubt obsessed with happy. It's at the core of our nation's belief to believe that there is an inalienable right to pursue happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In fact, in our culture, the quickest way to be called a bigot or judgmental is to believe or say anything that would infringe upon someone else doing something that they say or think would make them happy. We want all of our stories to end in happily ever after. We really do worship happy and we worship God. So it shouldn't be a surprise then that the two get mixed up. And it comes out usually something like this. God just wants me. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. And so even though the book of Revelation says that around the throne they're singing holy, 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 that that is the anthem, that is the theme song of heaven, I think a lot of us think that the theme song, theme song of heaven is actually, instead of holy, 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 happy, happy, happy. And it's God's job just to make sure that we get showered with happy. I mean, doesn't it just sound right that God wants me to be happy? Because after all, God doesn't want me to be unhappy, right? I mean, he, he doesn't want that for my life, does he? But think with me for a moment, because if God wants me to be happy, wants Josh Heydrich to be happy, then all the desserts that I like to eat would be good for you. They'd have no calories and, and they'd all be healthy, right? Um, cats would be an endangered species if it were up to me. And all of my favorite sports teams, college and pro, would win the championship every single year if God wants me to be happy happy. You see, here's the thing. Often when we say God wants me to be happy, we're often saying more about what we want than about what God wants. But do you feel the tension? Because does this mean that God wants us again to be unhappy? So let's dive in and, and hopefully get a little deeper and a little closer to, to the real um, to what the Bible really does say. Because here's the first thing. The Bible does not say that happiness is a problem. 
The Bible does not say that happiness is a problem. Grumpiness is not next to godliness, okay? Glumness is not a spiritual gift. In fact, it makes for a very poor witness. And we all know Christians who look like they were baptized in lemon juice and they do not represent Jesus well. Because you see, we were created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God, which means we were created with the capacity to be extremely delighted because God is the most joyous being in the universe. You know, oftentimes we think of God as love and, and, and God as grace and God as mercy and, and, and certainly God is, is truth and he is righteousness. But I like how Dallas Willard describes this in his book, The, the Divine Conspiracy. He, he says, or he writes, we should, to begin with, think that God leads a very interesting life and that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. Listen to what he says. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. Or as C.S. Lewis simply put it, joy is the serious business of heaven. God is an incredibly joyous being and we are his children made in his image. And by the way, isn't it true that any good parent delights in their children's happiness? I mean, you come into your, into your children's bedroom and, and, and your, your child or your children, they're, they're playing and they're giggling and they're laughing. And, and what are you? You are, you are just, you're smiling from ear to ear. You are filled with joy when you see your children filled with joy. But a good parent never makes it their ultimate goal of keeping their children happy by letting them have whatever it takes to make them happy. That's not what a good parent does. If you make your goal keeping your kids happy no matter what, then you are going to raise immature, petty, spoiled, self-absorbed people. And God is a good father and he's not going to let that happen to his children. And this world is ordered in such a way that nobody gets to be happy all the time. And the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, when times are good, be happy, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. And notice that happiness is connected to times. There are times when you're happy and there are times when, when you're not. Because happy and happening come from the same English root word of hap, which means fortune or chance. And so the chance is that something might happen to happen that will make you happy, but the chances also exist that something might happen to happen that will make you unhappy. And this is how life works. Happiness is always, a, always has a fleeting quality to it because something is about to happen next and that something could bring happiness or that something could bring unhappiness. A good example of this is, is in the book of, of Jonah. In chapter four, uh, Jonah is outside the city of Nineveh. If you know much about the story, he's, he's told to go preach to this, this nation of people that, that, he, that he does not like, the Israelites do not like. 
Uh, and, and, and God, he tries to run away. God, you know, brings him back with the help of a, a big old fish. And, and so Jonah, at this point, he's, he's outside the city of Nineveh, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And it was very hot. And so God sends this, this big plant. He makes this big plant grow up to give Jonah some shade. And it says that the shade made Jonah very happy, as all of us can, can probably relate to. When you're hot, you get some shade, nice and cool, it cools you off, and it makes you a little bit happy. But then God sent a worm that chewed up that plant, and the plant died. And once the shade was gone and Jonah got hot again, guess what? Jonah was very unhappy. And that's how it works. There are times when you get the shade, and there are times when you don't get the shade. And God has ordered this world so that the good and the bad come to everybody. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way in James chapter 5, verse 13. He said, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Because you're going to have times that are hard and difficult. And you may have times where you are happy as well. And right now, I know there is a myriad of, of each of those of you listening to me. We have people in both places and God is big enough. Listen, God is big enough to receive people and give grace to people who are in the hard times as well as people who are in the happy times. You don't have to put on this plastic facade of a happy face all the time. Happiness is not a problem. The Bible does not say that happiness is a problem. So enjoy it if you are there, but understand the Bible also doesn't say that happiness is a promise. Happiness is, is not a promise. In fact, the reality is that a lot of misery results from the mindset that I am entitled to happiness. Now just think with me, because if I believe that God just wants me to be happy, then I will start to consider that whatever makes me happy must be right. I mean, it can't be wrong if I want to do it and God just wants me to be happy and I think it will make me happy. You know, I'm in debt right now, but that new car looks really good and I know I'd just be happy if I had it. And so I get it and go into more debt because it made me happy and God wants me to be happy. I know we need to wait until we get married, but, but I just think it would feel good and make us really happy. Well, I, I know I made a vow. I know I said till death do us part, but, but we're just, we're having trouble getting along. And I found someone else who makes me happy. Do you see the kind of moral choices that we start to make if what makes us happy is the ultimate goal. And if God wants me to be happy, then I'm going to decide that whatever is hard or uncomfortable or risky couldn't be God's will for me. Why should I ever step out of my comfort zone or, or sacrifice? Why would I ever want to take up a cross? I mean, do you think Jesus went to Calvary because it was a happy place? You see, what happens when we start thinking that God owes me happiness is that we are seduced by a subtle form of idolatry, a subtle form of idolatry that says God exists for me 
and my happiness. And that will inevitably lead to disappointment with God because that's not why God exists. Because we've all had the conversation with someone who said, you know, I I tried the whole church thing. I tried the whole God thing and it just didn't work for me, which really means it didn't make me happy. It didn't jive with the choices that I wanted to make and the lifestyle I wanted to live that I think or I thought would make me happy. I mean, isn't it true that when you look back on your life and you look back on your prodigal moments, that most of your choices of disobedience to God were motivated by the thought that that happiness is somewhere else. And so you went to the far country pursuing happy and you most likely did not find what you were looking for. And, and nobody understands this better than, than the advertising industry. They, they understand how much we are motivated by the promise of a can of happy. And perhaps nobody does this more strategically or brilliantly than McDonald's because they know that there is a huge market out there of parents with young kids who are always screaming and unhappy. And so McDonald's says, just come on by and we'll put a warmed up hamburger and some warmed up fries. Maybe you get the chicken nuggets and and you get a cheap toy in a sack and we'll sell you a, a healthy meal, right? No, that's not what they call it. They sell gazillions of what? Happy meals. And by the way, how long does that happy meal actually bring happiness? Because after your child has a happy meal, has his happy meal, and he goes to play in the playground, of course, that's before COVID. I'm not sure how many playgrounds are open right now, but he goes to play in the playground and mom says, you know, after, you know, 20, 30 minutes of him playing at the playground. Okay, honey, it's time to to leave and go get in the car and and go home. Doesn't that child just pop up and say, you know, usually, mom, I'd pitch a fit, but not today because after lunch, after my happy meal, I'm so happy, right? That's exactly what the child does after his happy meal. Just just half an hour later. Yeah, right. All of you parents know that that is not what happens. And we laugh. But as we get older, we just buy bigger and more expensive Happy Meals. Listen to me. If you set your GPS on Happy, you will never stop driving. If that's your ultimate goal and destination, you are never going to reach it. But what if what we're really seeking is a different destination than we imagined. And what if God is not in the way of your highest joy, but he is the way? Because I just don't read where Jesus ever said that your highest aim should be the pursuit of happiness. He told a story in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Here's what the Bible does say. Instead of happiness, the Bible says that the kingdom is a better pursuit. Instead of pursuing happiness, the Bible says pursue the kingdom. 
Here's why it's so hard to be happy chasing happiness because life does not acknowledge your sovereignty and it doesn't acknowledge my sovereignty. You are not on the throne. You never have been and you never will be. And so if getting happy depends on how you can order life to work the way you want it to work and the way you want it to be ordered so that everything's going to happen the way you want it to happen so that you can finally get your kind of happy, you are going to live a pretty miserable life because you don't ever get that kind of control. Happiness is the byproduct, though, of a better pursuit. It, 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 it doesn't happen by us pursuing happiness as the ultimate goal. It happens as a byproduct of us, of us pursuing something better. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, including happiness. Because you see, you're not on the throne. God is. And when his rule and his reign in your life becomes your pursuit, then you can seek the kingdom no matter what happens. It doesn't matter what the lab results are. It doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter what the headlines say. If seeking the kingdom is what you're pursuing most, then you can always do that. And the result, the result is this contented spirit that, that cannot be explained, but it cannot be explained away. And so you have this people who are following Jesus and seeking the kingdom, who live lives that just don't make sense to people who think that happy is the goal. For example, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed, that word can also be translated as happy or joyful. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You say, what? what? Why would they be happy? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Rejoice and be glad. To which again we say, what? Why? Because great, Jesus says, is your reward in heaven. You know, Voice of the Martyrs is an organization here in the U.S. that tracks the, the persecuted church around the world. You know, how the church is being persecuted around the world. It was founded by a uh, man by the name of Richard Wormbrand, Wormbrand, who understands persecution quite well. He was a Jewish man uh, who was born in Romania, and he gave his life to Christ as a young adult about the time that communists took over his country, and he spent a lot of time in prison. And in his book, Tortured for Christ, you can read about some of the things that happened to him, although I, I would tell you it's 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 tough reading. It's, 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 um, it's tough to read some of the stuff that he talks about. But there's an amazing paragraph in, in, the, in that book where he writes this. He says, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided, though, to pay the price for, listen to this, the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy 
And that makes absolutely no sense, right? Unless you're pursuing a better kingdom. But don't you have in your own life the memory of a time when you went through a circumstance that wasn't very happy? And yet that circumstance circumstance transformed you. Because in it, you experienced the grace and goodness of God at a depth that you had never known before. That's why I don't necessarily agree with the the line that I've heard preached before that, that says, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. That, that, you know, it's like the two are opposites. You pick one or you pick the other. You, you can be holy and miserable or you can be happy and ungodly. But I, I just, I don't think that's the case. I think when you pursue God, <coughs> when you pursue his rule, you pursue his life, you pursue his holiness, you find something better than happiness. You find that the Holy Spirit is released in your life to fill you with joy. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking. Not that those things are bad, but that's not the focus. That's not the goal. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of righteousness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Author and missionary E. Stanley Jones put it like this. He said, I'm a happy man. Because my happiness is not dependent on happenings, but upon the joy of belonging to him, whatever happens. Now, Jesus didn't tell us to pursue happiness. The Bible says that joy is a better gift. Joy is a better gift. And when you read about the early Christians in Acts, they, they went through a lot of things that were particularly un happy, and yet they had an unconquerable joy, just like Jesus had promised. Do you remember the night before he died when he told his disciples this in John chapter 16, verse 22? Now is your time, he says. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. In other words, I will come back from the dead. I will conquer death. I will defeat the enemy, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Because joy is independent of changes and chances. Joy doesn't come in a package. It comes in a presence. It doesn't come from pursuing happiness. It comes from pursuing God. Because here's what happy people know. That happy is not a what. Happy is a who. Happy is not a what. It's a who, and your life is going to be exhausting and frustrating if you keep chasing the happy what, only to find out you need the happy what next, followed by the happy what else. But happy is not a what. Happy is a who. The psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 68, verse 3, let your people be happy and celebrate. Why? Because of you. Because God is not in the way of your highest joy. God is the way to your highest joy. So stop looking for what and start seeking the who. 
Start seeking him because the Bible doesn't say God just wants you to be happy. The Bible says that God wants you to have something far 